Hello and welcome to Simple Self-Care by Naturally Randy Kay. This is a podcast dedicated to simplifying the healing journey by aligning your self-care practices with your own inner wisdom and the natural cycles outside and within. Though self-care has become quite the buzzword, it's actually a vital tool that can fit beautifully into your everyday life. Join me as we explore how to create a deep and meaningful relationship with ourself naturally, intentionally, and simply. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the podcast. It's been a bit since we are currently on a season break from the podcast, but you know I like to pop in with a bonus episode every now and again. So here we are. I hope you're doing well and enjoying your summer. And I'm very excited to bring you today's conversation with my friend, Rosie Nestingen. I actually know Rosie through some mutual friends here in Fargo, North Dakota, where we both grew up, but she now resides in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Rosie is well-loved and well-known in this area from her time spent traveling across the state to facilitate diversity, equity, and inclusion workshops and presentations as Miss North Dakota. And she has carried that work on throughout her career and is currently active in the tech industry working for Best Buy Corporate. She's also an incredible songwriter and musician and such a warm and loving person to be around. And I'm just going to quote her professional bio here because it sums up who she is and why I'm so excited to have her on the podcast so well. It says the through line for Rosie is creating conversations, campaigns, and initiatives from a lens of inclusion. Her vocation is truly to create change in her corner of the world by building a bigger table where we are all welcome and leading with love. Yes. And talking about racism and diversity and inclusion is very difficult. It is complex. It is triggering. It is uncomfortable. But with Rosie, it is also loving and compassionate and extremely educational and just full of practical, tangible tools. So I brought Rosie on to share with us the importance of having these conversations, of doing this work and how we can turn it into a loving part of our daily lives. And I want to apologize in advance for my own awkwardness in this conversation in addressing these topics with Rosie. She is so wise and eloquent, and I am still learning so much, and I do some external processing with her (laughs) during this chat, so forgive me, but hopefully it's good learning for all of us. Yes. All right. So take a listen as we chat about what it's like living in Minneapolis right now, so close to where George Floyd was killed and all of the aftermath that followed. And we talk about how to make anti-racism a daily practice, what real listening and learning looks like, the importance of educating your kids and other young people, how resting and self-care is a part of this movement how this work needs to be so much more than hashtags and posts on social media, how to start where you are at and in the circles and industries you are currently in, how to make your events and platforms more inclusive, and how to do the hard work of hard work. And 
so much more. As you can tell, we cover a lot of ground. So enjoy. All right. Well, Rosie, thank you for joining me on the podcast. Um, Thank you for being willing to share your stories and share your wisdom. And it's just good to to see you and talk to you. It's been a while. Oh, good. So let's just begin with who you are, what you're doing, all of the many things that you do. So we know each other. Well, we didn't know each other growing up, but we're both from Fargo. And then when I moved back, how did we even, was it through Katie Phillips? Probably Katie Phillips. That sounds like a likely uh, person to connect us. Yes. Yeah. And maybe just one day we're like, we should be friends. And then we were. Yeah, actually, okay. I think that was it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> um, and you're actually the reason artist Nicole Ray is in my life. And yeah. she's been on the podcast many times and she's a podcast favorite. Mm-hmm. So we have Rosie to thank for that beautiful love fest. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so that's good. So let's just start with where you're at now. I mean, you've had many seasons of doing amazing things in the world, anything from being Miss North Dakota to writing musicals and (laughs) like everything in between. So I'll just let you take the wheel and share, share with us. So currently, uh, I'm living in Minneapolis, um, and I've been living in Minneapolis for um, eight, almost eight years, Uh, and I work at Best Buy's corporate headquarters here in Minneapolis, and I work in digital and technology, but the work that I do on that team and for that team is really around anything around transformation and change, so uh, that includes a lot of work around onboarding and engagement with employees. That includes a lot of work around inclusion and diversity, um, a lot of access to different programs for employees, and then recruiting, engaging with, and understanding um, talent needs and how we can engage with talent in ways that we perhaps haven't engaged with them before, or find talent that perhaps hasn't thought about working at Best Buy because they're maybe, I think there's the imposter syndrome that goes along with a lot of people when you think about especially technology um, and in that space uh, and so really understanding how we can level up and train our teams to and future people to be prepared and ready to to engage in that work so that's the work that I currently do uh, that's my I call it my nine to five my continuous I'll say five to nine is uh, doing work around musicals and musical theater and writing haven't been doing as much performing uh, because, you know, everything's closed down. And also, um, you know, just I've I've learned the art of writing and playing music for myself and not for other people. And so um, going through all of that in the journey, uh, as well as really talking about my experience in um, being a person of color, uh, being raised in Fargo, uh, growing up in that area, going to college in that area, and then um, moving to Minneapolis. So that's what I call my five to nine job, which is really my, my passion projects. And you're so talented, honestly, like everything you do, you just kill it. And you're also very fashionable. Your Instagram feed is full <laughs> of wonderful accessories and color and um, 
I love seeing the cute little life you have with your husband. And so, but recently I've really appreciated the stories you've been telling on your Instagram. And I love how you're doing it too, because you're combining your love for how you express yourself with your fashion along with your life stories. And it's just like, and you're just such a good writer. So it's, it's just very well done. So I highly suggest people follow you, but um, sharing your stories of growing up in Fargo. I mean, we both grew up here a little bit different times, but um, not too much, <laughs> not too far apart. Um, and I just read them with just completely different experiences and just complete I'm embarrassed by how shocked I am Mm -hmm. I or I just I just figured Fargo's Fargo everybody loves each other but people are very have have been very naive here and so to share what it's like for you just to exist or go to a lake cabin or meet somebody new or get a new hairstyle and so I'd love to hear how you've in the past few weeks been inspired and motivated to share those stories and when you've mentioned it's been very therapeutic for you to be heard in this way so I'd love to hear how it's been for you especially living in Minneapolis being in the heart of where this movement is really taking shape um, in this way I mean it's been going on for a very long time but um, yeah It's, you know, it's kind of interesting because, um, you know, a few months ago, so before really this, this current movement um, has taken shape, I, I was remembering a lot of these little moments of my life that I really remember and took time and energy to really work through, but I hadn't shared them out with a lot of people. Because a lot of the moments, and as I kind of have shared out um, on Instagram, a lot of the moments when I was a kid, I was like, this doesn't feel good or right, but I can't put my finger on why. And I also can't understand or articulate because I'm six or because I'm 10. I can't articulate why I'm feeling this way, but you know, my peers that are white maybe aren't or they don't see how that could feel uncomfortable for me. And so I was just trying to remember a lot of these things were coming into my mind. So I just had this Google doc of like little notes and like, you know, go back and write more about that. Or when you think of it, or, you know, memory is a really interesting thing. And I've even found as I've been writing in more detail, some of these experiences, I'm remembering even more and more things. Um, So to date, I mean, I just checked it and was writing a little bit this morning. I have about 25 pages of little stories that, um, you know, when this all happened, and and like you mentioned, I live in Minneapolis. I live just a few blocks from where George Floyd was murdered. Um, I actually, I mean, I walk my dog with my husband all the time, and we're always over at that, um, which is now a memorial site, and we were there just a few hours before he was killed. And so we're really, really connected with what's going on because it's literally in our backyard. So when this all started to happen in our community, specifically in our neighborhood, I just felt like I could vocalize maybe a little bit more. And it was, it just started in in conversation, you know, sharing a a few of my experiences, be it in Fargo or 
in a workplace or what have you. And, and the few people that were close to me said, you should share them. <laughs> you should share this out. And I don't know what feels like a good or impactful uh, way for you to do it, but it seems like just hearing you talk about this for five minutes has brought so many different insights for myself. You know, these are the friends saying this. And so I thought I would just try my hand and share out on Instagram what I was feeling and had experienced um, and also was utilizing my closet room because I have a lot of um, items that I wanted to maybe showcase or wear and hello we're in quarantine so you know I'm just wearing sweatpants every day so it was a good combination in that way but it really it wasn't anything I really planned for I, I do have I did have that Google Doc and I didn't know what I would do with it or what I would do with the stories. And I still don't really know how it will all take shape because there's a lot to be shared. But um, I've always been passionate about this work. And so I'm really grateful that people are opening their hearts and their minds to just listen and and try to understand that their life experience and others um, are different. So being in Minneapolis Mm -hmm. for a while now, you know, with the media, there's just, you can never kind of trust Mm -hmm. everything that's being reported. Um, And you've shared how much you love living in Minneapolis and your neighborhood and your, you know, feeling at home there. But have you also experienced the extreme racism that has been going on there for generations? Like, what do you feel like is an accurate representation of what's going on? And what what is it really like there? Mm-hmm. So I think it's, I think it's hard because I think, you know, because I didn't grow up here, um, I have a different lens of being a transplant. So that I'll say that first. I think that Minneapolis compared to Fargo, for example, very different demographics, but Minneapolis compared to even other large cities the way that our city is set up is still, unfortunately, pretty segregated. And there's a lot of reasons for that, but I think that depending on what pocket of Minneapolis, Minneapolis you live in, you like my neighborhood is very diverse. Um, so walking around, I'm not the only Black person in my neighborhood. Walking around in even a few neighborhoods over, I am. And so it just really changes neighborhood to neighborhood because of that that segregation. I guess I can speak for the experience I've had within my neighborhood and my street and my block and um, it really has felt like our community has come together to you know create space for more conversations like this and conversation about inclusion and racial justice within just the way that our city is set up and the way that things that we can do as community members to really impact how it looks in the future so that we are all more cognizant and aware of um, these racial injustices that continue to happen, unfortunately. So what was it like, I guess, moving from Fargo to Minneapolis? Um, And I guess a question that I have, and I know there's a lot of listeners from the Midwest and not very diverse neighborhoods, like how can we continue to move forward being with these movements in our communities where there's not a lot of diversity and how can we just be with people of color without it 
them feeling like they're being tokenized or like, oh, you're a black person. I want to give you a hug because I want to show you that I love you. You know what I mean? Like, I would love to hear more of how that can translate into our daily life and just existing with each other um, and, and how we can get involved in it. Um, white people to when we're living in areas where there's not a lot of diversity and people that grow up with your experience here and, and feeling more normal and welcome and and just have it be humans existing together yeah, yeah right that's I mean that's a goal yeah I think um, you know I am somebody who's really comfortable and I like to talk to people about this work and how it can change and how we can impact this situation. And so that's me. I can speak for myself. Um, I can't speak for every Black person. And so I think something that does become a little awkward or maybe people don't know, uh, white people don't know like how to engage is, you know, they, they really want to be supportive and they really want to, you know, kind of like give you a hug, right? Yeah. Um, and wrap their arms around you and, and be like, I am with you. I'm, I am I am supportive. But it's not something that maybe is welcomed by everybody. Mm-hmm. I, it's welcomed, but I'll speak for myself only. But I think something that white people can do, especially in areas that are not diverse, is one, I think you can think about, like, just use a lot of empathy. Think about how that person might be feeling if they walk into a grocery store or they walk into the gas station or every place they go, they are the only black person. What if you were living in a situation where you were the only white person going into someplace or going into a restaurant or bar, whatever it is, like think about, just put yourself in that situation to just kind of get that in your mind to start thinking about how that might feel or maybe what you would be more on guard about. Um, I'll speak for myself to say that every time I go into a, uh, I love shopping and every time I go into a new shop or boutique or something like that, I very actively and intentionally will engage with the salesperson to just kind of, I don't know what the word is, but really just let them know, like, I am here to shop. I'm excited to engage. I love to shop. I would prefer to have a good experience. I don't want you to follow follow me around the story. I don't want you to, you know, feel intimidated by me. So I've really taken that energy to do that. That's just something I do because I've experienced it kind of the other way. But some other things that I would recommend for people would be just to learn. So I think there's a lot of, there's a ton of resources that are swirling around the internet on how to become an ally and an advocate. But there's a lot of terms in this space, in diversity and inclusion space that I think we can all become a little bit more familiar with. So something that I use, and just even a starting point, it's really simple, but it is a start, is the IDEA work. So it's I-D-E-E-A. So that's inclusion, diversity, equity, equality, and access. And understanding what those things mean in this space, understanding how you could apply them to your own life, or areas within your life where you can be more inclusive, where you can provide more access, where perhaps you've had more access and your neighbor who is black or who doesn't look like you hasn't had, is really something that you can do. The third thing that I think is important is our youth are listening and they're absorbing and they're sponges right now and and always, but especially right now. And being an adoptee and growing up in Fargo, my parents were really great about making sure that I had you know, dolls and like Lego sets that not only looked like me, 
but Lego sets that looked like everybody as well. And I think that that's something that you can actively do as a parent, um, especially as a white parent, is buy a black baby doll or <laughs> buy support a black owned company that um, is in your neighborhood or a few neighborhoods over. I think there's things that you can actively do in your everyday life and be more cognizant of that that really will help just open your eyes and kind of wake up to other opportunities that you can engage in this work. Yeah, I think another thing that I've I've been thinking about has been how to fuel my knowledge in a way. So when it does come up in my circles mm-hmm. where we're all white, like how to be able to educate and correct things that people say, which is really really outside of my comfort zone. But I think that's one thing that this movement has really pushed me to do is to be with the discomfort and be with the awkwardness and, um, and really, and hearing, like, I love reading your posts because they're so, like, I think about going into stores differently now. You know, I think like, I just recognize my privilege more and can be and start to brainstorm ways to um, counter this. And so I think that's one thing is to just within our communities, just to start calling people out Mm -hmm. (laughs) and being okay with it or learning how to educate in a way that is going to be effective Mm-hmm. instead of raising everybody's defenses up or right. or something like that so I think the education part is huge and you know even I I don't love confrontation but I love education and so yeah. I I always try to lead with I statements like I feel like you know this has affected me or this is how I see it or you know, tell me more about why that's you know, something that you've understood to be true or just trying to understand where the education, not gap, but where the education miss maybe has happened or misunderstanding, I think can be helpful as well. It's not comfortable. It's like anything. It's like you you kind of have to practice it to get better at it. And we're all going to be practicing it. And hopefully in six months, we're all going to be much better at having these types of hard conversations. But I mean, make no mistake, they're, they're not easy. So how would you suggest making being an ally, being anti-racist, like part of our daily life, Mm -hmm. instead of just this, like, this is what's happening now. This is what we're all studying. This is what we're all looking into. Mm -hmm. Like, that's all well and good, but how does this actually become like change? And, And how do we live our lives every day with this in our worldview mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I think you know I think this work and I know this work to be really hard and really exhausting so I'll say that and if you're new to this work you may be feeling exhaustion and that's normal I think this work is hard it's not something that overnight all of a sudden we're all going to be really good at but I would recommend a few things one would be I would recommend keeping like a little notebook or, you know, scrap piece of paper and just for one week identifying what your activities are. So 
I'll use myself as an example, which can exemplify perhaps even some of the privileges that I've had. So in my day yesterday, I was able to be at home and log on to internet service and work and get paid for my day working from home. That's one privilege that I've had, especially during this time is getting paid and being able to work from, from my home. Another would be, um, I yesterday I also had a call with my alma mater. I went to a four-year private college, which is an, an, a privilege that I have, education and access to education, access to private education, um, to work on some, some, some of the similar work and just connect with some peers in that space. Uh, another privilege that I had was I got to drive in my car and go get groceries. I had the privilege of having a car and access to transportation easily. And I got to go to the grocery store, have access to a grocery store in my neighborhood. So even those little things are things that I in my life have access to and are a privilege that not everybody has access to, right? Any one of those things or all three of them. So just writing down and kind of recognizing those things in your day, it's a lot of heart work. It's a lot of understanding your own experience so that you can really understand others as well. So that's, that's the first thing I would say, maybe like step one. Step two, so that's really the, the learning. This step two is really the listening. So I'll use Instagram as a good example, but I think that something that a lot of people are talking about on Instagram and social media and what have you is really the influencers or the bloggers or what have you, the people that you follow and the voices that you listen to. And if they all look like you, then you're not getting a wide point of view, right? And so thinking about, or maybe doing like a social media audit of yourself, uh, who do you follow? What do they, do they look like you? Do they look different from you? Do they have the same socioeconomic status as you or is it different from you? Things like that and questions like that that you can ask yourself is really, I think, doing a lot of this hard work that is hard work uh, will really impact what our communities look like six months from now. Because perhaps after you've done some of that, that work, that listening and that learning, in six months from now, it'll be more common and more comfortable for you to really lead with love and think about and have empathy for people that have had access, different privileges, lack of privileges than you, or really understanding and hearing from different voices that look different from you, have different experience from you. Setting yourself up to really be that person that is a little bit more comfortable, has the, the language and the knowledge to understand more about what inclusion means, what access means. And then if someone says something that isn't right or is racist, you have the tools to say, I think, and I feel, and because of my experience, I can say that this is wrong. I think that's the goal. It's, it's you know, we're, I think it's the actual one month um, anniversary from George Floyd's death, and we're moving in a direction that will impact this work. We're moving in a, direct a direction, like our North Star is change. And we have to keep moving and keep going and keep pushing and keep working. And it's all of us. It's not, it's not one person's um, perspective that will change all this. It's all of us. And it really does mean doing the work. I read an article recently about the Instagram algorithm mm. and how um, it will 
I just read it this morning. So it was kind of a blur in my morning reading. So I'm not going to quote it very well, but I am doing the courses from Dive In Well, that organization that um, is all about diversity and inclusion in the wellness industry. And they mentioned this article in one of their courses that I'm taking and how basically if you don't have diversity in your feed um, and you're not engaging with these accounts, Instagram will take that into consideration, like is taking race into consideration and curating your feed based on if you want to see diversity or not. And then if not, whether intentional or unintentional, then it's not going to be, those accounts don't seem like they're, um, you know, popular. And so then that influences their ability to work with brands and to grow their own accounts. It's like, it's a vicious cycle. It's messed up. Like it really is. So that adds another layer of why it's so important just out of principle. Yes. But it really does make a difference Mm -hmm. in people being able to be seen and to be heard. And could you also speak about, um, maybe you have an opinion on the hashtags that people are using, um, because that was very educational uh, when the people started using Black Lives Matter with the black square boxes. And then it, it like took over the feeds of the black people that actually use that hashtag for their movements. And so maybe just bringing awareness of when we do want to amplify the voices of people of color, what is the best way for us to do that? That's actually serving the community. So, you know, I think when that happened, which is on blackout Tuesday with the the hashtag, it reminded me a lot of, I think it was maybe seven or eight years ago, there was an ALS challenge, the bucket, ice bucket challenge. Yeah. Yep. And it reminded me of that because there were so many people that were doing the ice bucket challenge and tagging their, you know, 10 or whatever Facebook friends. And the goal of that, the reason why it started was you do this challenge and then you tag other people so that you are all donating. Like hopefully at the end of it, 11 people in your circle have donated to this, this group. And people were just doing this challenge and then not donating. And so it felt, it just reminded me of that because the, the black squares, it's one thing to post it. And then it's a totally different thing to post a black square and do something mm. and yourself, or donate it to an organization that is due out in the community doing this work or go out in your community and help clean up if there is been unrest in your neighborhood I mean so that is the first thing that I thought of I was wondering you know I wonder of these black squares I'm seeing like how many people are doing the work because I see the black square for one day and then you go back to your really catered and curated content and that feels disingenuous to me and mm-hmm. I want to believe that I don't <laughs> and and so I think it's really important and I don't think I don't, I don't think that we're going to get this all right the first time we all try it. I think mm-hmm. there's, there's opportunity for us each to continue to grow in this space. And so I think if you lead with being genuine in this, and if you are someone who posted a, back, a black square and used the hashtag, 
I don't, I don't want to say if it's good or bad because I, I still don't know if you've done the work, then I think it's good, but you have to keep doing the work mm-hmm. and you also need to recognize or could spend some time learning more about why it's important to hold space for black people who've experienced this racial injustice day in and day out and not just on blackout Tuesday and not just, you know, on in moments when more white people see it as a problem. I mean, in the blog, the little vignettes that I've shared, it's, I think the earliest one I remember is age six and I'm now in my 30s. So it's not like, I mean, how many days is that in my life? My husband was a math teacher. He can tell us, but (laughs) Um, so I think it's really important to just recognize that this isn't a one day movement that, that if you, if you're posting and you're resharing and you're, you know, sharing work that perhaps is not created by people that are, are practitioners in this space and Black people, then just investigate if that's the right thing to be sharing. Or if you could do some research and, and find some Black practitioners that are doing this work. Yeah, I definitely been guilty of reposting something out of just reaction without researching who said it, if it's true, you know, and having to go back. And it's just like, there's, it could sound great. It could look great, but if you really dig into it, it's not great to be sharing false information. I think we have a tendency to just want to quickly react. And that kind of was tricky for me in the beginning because I wanted to share my position in everything and not just this movement but things before Mm -hmm. but I think there's a wisdom to simmering with it and doing your research and then deciding how to be effective with your words Mm -hmm. and your and your actions Mm -hmm. but then people have been criticized for not saying something right away Mm -hmm. in certain communities so I think I appreciated what you said in the beginning of like, this is my perspective. This is what I like and not treating people of color as like, they're all going to feel the same about this. There's only one way to approach somebody about this. And I mean, and that fits into the whole problem we have in the first place of stereotyping. It's just like, how can you just relate to people as an individual Mm -hmm and respond to what their needs are, the people in your life and the people whose work you want to support instead of imposing what you think is needed. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's an experiment. It's a, <laughs> it's a trial and error for sure. It is because we've, ne- I mean, I was going to say we've never been here. That's not true. We have, unfortunately, we've been here before. But I think, um, you know, I think, what I have been seeing and what I'm encouraged by and why I truly, and maybe I'm naive to feel this, but this is how I feel, is I feel like we're moving towards change, actual change. And it seems, the reason I think that is because there's this quote by Maya Angelou that I love. I heard it a lot growing up because Oprah would say it a lot and I watched Oprah every day. <laughs> <laughs> I still listen to her, her, her shows on a podcast. Anyway. Uh, she said, you know, if you know better, then you do better. And I feel like we're learning how to know better. Mm. And that's 
lot of time, but we're learning. And so now we're doing, and then we will be able to do better. Why do you think, and how do you feel about it taking so long for this to happen in this way? That's one thing I've been feeling feels about just within myself Mm -hmm. of like why that it had to take this for me to get out of my comfort zone more and to take the position that I've been feeling the nudge to for a long time but been afraid to or I don't know Mm -hmm. but where do you sit with with that that now now that we're here like are you like oh finally or you know or why do you think it's taken until now? I um that's a hard question because I think yeah, I do kind of feel like okay, now people are listening. I mean, if I were posting similar content 2 months ago, it would have resonated with some people and still would have been eye-opening, but it seems like in this moment people's ears are and their hearts are open. It seems like before it was like, well, that doesn't affect me personally or in my life as much. So I hear you and I see how it can affect your life, but I'm still, my life is still unaffected. My community is still unaffected. So I'm going to keep doing that. But now it's like, I hear you. I see you. I may not have had that experience, but I can see that you have. And I want to make sure that my community and my space and my home and my life is better and more inclusive because of what, I've learned that you've experienced. And I I just, I don't know. I don't know if I believe that it would have been the same response a few months ago. So in a way, it kind of does feel like, yeah, I'm I'm really glad that we are all trying to dig in and do this work, or a lot of us are. Um, But then the flip side of it is, I mean, so even more context. So my husband is white. He's 100% Norwegian, (laughs) dating back. (laughs) Six generations on both sides. Hans. Name is Hans. Um, You can't escape it, Rosie. It's like there's no, yeah, it's there's no doubt that he's Norwegian. He looks Norwegian, also. Anyway, um, and so he and I talk about this all the time. I mean, he he grew up in in this uh, in South Minneapolis in this area, and um, he went to a school that was very diverse. He was a teacher for a long time in the city, um, a few different schools, uh, one of actually one of which actually was um, right in the thick of for Minneapolis, um, where a lot of damage had taken place. So he's just he's been around and really understands and has a lot of empathy and has a lot of training in this in this work. And so he and I have had conversations from like day one of our relationship about race relations. So in our house and in our lives, it's not an uncommon topic, but even for him to be an ally and an advocate, whether it's at work or with his group of friends or what have you, it does feel like people are listening in a different way. And so, you know, if there's moments where I'm feeling like, oh, I just don't want to talk about it right now. And it's usually not the case. Usually I I love to talk about it. I want to talk about it all the time, but there's a few moments where it's like, I just don't have energy to any, any to. I need some self-care or something mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like check out for a minute and he can step in and say you know here's here's what we've experienced or I've experienced or Rosie has shared with me and given me permission to share all like that sort of thing and so 
I think it's being an ally and saying I'm with you, but even taking the next step to be an advocate to say, I'm with you and I am going to lift up other people's experiences that I cannot understand, but I want to help change. Mm -hmm. I think what was an interesting preparation for this movement is COVID because I feel like for the first time, at least in my lifetime, we're experiencing something that influences everybody across the globe. And I think one of the the dangers of um, our life, our world as it is, is we a lot of what we see, we see on TV and it, it feels like fiction. Even though it's not, it still has that illusion of fiction. And it's like, oh, that's so hard that that happened to them over there. What's next? You know, <laughs> you know, and it's just like, all of these things, but I feel like COVID is really bringing us to be like, you know, it doesn't matter who you are or where you are. There's something that's influencing all of us. And I think having this movement come in the midst of that, I think we're more open than usual, but also as much as the protests and the riots were very hard and dangerous, uh, those were in our backyards now. In that regard, it was effective. And it was like, okay, this is it. The, the way that I have been operating with inclusion and diversity, I guess I just never really thought about because of how I am. I don't know, but I just thought that that was enough. <laughs> or I didn't actually hear the stories mm-hmm. of my friends of color and and really... I have a couple of friends that have confided in me on their, in their, with their experiences, but generally I just assumed like we have the same life. Like, I don't know. Um, I guess for me, that's why it's different now. I think there's more of a, an awareness of like, Oh, how I've been, hasn't been enough. And I also didn't know how I was living in my privilege and how my, these, the people that I care about were actually living in the world. Mm -hmm. And so I guess going back to that heart work, Mm -hmm. that's something that as a empath and highly sensitive person learning how to navigate. And, and I'd love to hear your insights on this, um, of how to, because even just digging into the history and, being angry all of a sudden at all white men, like (laughs) in like, (laughs) or colonizers, which are my ancestors and being like ancestors, WTF, you know, like, and just, I mean, having that heaviness, Mm -hmm. which you experience on a level that I can't understand and have been processing for your lifetime. Like, Mm -hmm. how do you self-care that? (laughs) How do you uh, feel safe and rest and continue to do the work and and exist? I think all of us are feeling the weight of our ancestors, no matter what side we've been on. It's all been so mm-hmm. <sighs> deep breath. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, I went on a tangent there oh, about my white experience, but um, 
hopefully it's relatable for listeners. And I'd love to hear your take on, on these things and how we process this in our, in our hearts and our souls and continue to find health in the midst of all of this. Right. right. So I think, you know, from my own self-care, uh, I'm not very good at it. I'll be really honest. I've been trying to get better, but usually what happens, and I, I remember telling Hans about this, um, like early on in our dating, I said, I'm going to go, 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 go. And then I'm going to crash. And that's how I work. <laughs> And I haven't crashed yet, so it might be coming. But mm-hmm. what what has helped is that, you know, different projects I've worked on. And, um, you know, early we talked about, I wrote this musical and I wrote it with two other women. And so they know that about me. And one of them called me and she has a cabin up north. And she said, cabin's free and you're going to you're going to go up and you and Hans are going to have a few days and you're just going to do nothing. And you're not going to bring your computers and you're going to take a few days off of work. <laughs> and she just said that. And I, it was like, well, I don't know if I can get away. And she's like, you can, and you're going to. Mm-hmm. And it was really necessary to have someone kind of, you know, outside of our house just say, you need to take care of yourself in this moment. And so we just got back and it was so restorative and so necessary and so impactful to just have space to really, you know, not constantly be surrounded by really this, and not surrounded by this movement, but really like in the thick living, when I walk outside my door, I'm reminded of what's going on pretty much. Um, Be it neighbors talking about it or, you know, people coming into our community to just um, see the memorial. I mean, there's just constant reminders. And so something I've really been trying to do more and more of, because I know I'm not good at self-care, is really taking um, an hour or two a day to unplug from this work and what I do something I try to do is I'll go outside for a walk or I'll do a workout or I'll do yoga or I'll call a girlfriend like things like that that are really just you know I don't I, don't, I can't do this work all the time um, my life is embedded in this work because I am black in America and so literally kind of doing it 24 7 um the things that kind of take me out or really like dampen my energy for this work are moments where I'm not it's not like you really anticipate (laughs) this is gonna sound weird it's like you really anticipate racism but there are some moments where you're or situations you walk into and you're like someone's gonna say something that's gonna piss me off I can tell I just have this feeling and so I'm kind of my guard is up and I'm ready and it hurts less because you're ready for it. But when something happens and you're just doing your own thing or you're walking your dog or you, the one that really, this one caught me off guard. This was in Fargo many years ago. I was walking into Atomic Coffee. Is it still there? Yeah. Still there. Yeah. Okay. I was walking into still Atomic picking. Coffee and I was going there for a networking meeting. So I was hustling in and it was, it was in the winter. So it was cold and I opened the door and a white, I don't know, 25-year-old guy was walking out, don't know who this person was, and he said, what up, N-word, <gasps> hand up, and I was like, dude, I was like, you can't say that, you cannot say that, and he was like, uh, what, and I was like, you can't say that, and I like, went did the whole thing, and I was like, I have a networking meeting, now I'm thrown off, I need to meet this person, because I'm trying to build my, like, you can't say that, 
And so it's moments like that where you're just like, I did nothing to even want to engage with you. I opened a door, you were walking out. I have no idea who you are. I couldn't pick them out of a crowd in this moment. I mean, that's how little impact, but big impact, little impact he had on my life before that moment and big impact he had on my recovery since it. So I'm really rambling from the question that you asked, but self-care, I think you, (laughs) I think it, I think it does take people that are really close to you to encourage you to take care of yourself. Um, I've been trying to be better about finding moments and hours where I can unplug whatever way that looks. And I think the last part is really like, if you feel like I've been trying to navigate this one, but it's like, if someone isn't for you and it feels like they don't support you or they are constantly having heads with you, especially on this work, I just am at a place where I can't put my energy into having the closeness with them that maybe I've had before. Too much work and it takes my energy away from doing work that I believe is really important to help others move forward. So that's where I'm at. That's what I've been trying to do. Well, I think that's good. I mean, what I talk a lot about on this podcast and in my approach to self-care is it's always evolving depending on what's happening in our life. And so it just sounds like before, you know, you had your, your way of doing things that were maybe not ideal, but you did it, you know, (laughs) and I think you're better at self-care than you think, (laughs) because you do do things that bring you joy and aren't necessary, but just things that you love. Like you've always been good at that. So Um, that's also self-care but now it's sounding like you're finding that it's requiring a different part of you Mm -hmm. and you're in a season of needing to really be intentional and leveling that up so you continue you can continue to show up how you you want to show up Mm -hmm. and I think that's a that's an aspect of self-care that a lot of people forget I forget is like Resting is part of the movement. It's part of um, what we need to do to stay, for this to stay sustainable. If we completely burn out from it, Mm -hmm. um, then we're going to stop. And so I think I'm taking a break from social media this week. And at first I was like, I try not to feel guilty about things because that emotion is kind of pointless and can be dangerous. But like I was, I was like, is it okay for me to be quiet right now? Or is that going to be interpreted as I did my thing and now I'm done? Like, you know, like caring about stupid stuff. And, but when I'm really still and honest with myself, it's like, you know, I actually, my, I, like I got a notification from my phone with my screen time that was like, you've been on more than usual (laughs) because it felt like doing something in these times of crisis, staying that tuned in still feels like you're doing something or reposting constantly feels like you're still doing something, but taking this time to disconnect from it Mm -hmm. is also doing something. If it's part of your plan you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's you know that 
not underrated, but I think maybe not as talked about in this work is because it's, it's heart work and you're transforming the way that you think and feel. You have to do what you can and what you need to do to take a day or take a week and not be on social media or, you know, unfollow a bunch of people you went to high school with that are mm-hmm. causing you anxiety. I don't know, like do what you need to do so that you can keep, this is a long game, the marathon. It's like, you have to keep, there's always a rest day, I think. I never, I've never run a marathon, let's be real. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, that, I think that's the thing people do. They have a rest day. Yeah, there must be yep. a rest day. Okay, yep. so rest day. <laughs> and then you get back into get back into the pattern the next week or the next day or you have to you have to do that because that's how we'll sustain this energy then we need to and I think I guess my approach to it has been and of course I share these things that I'm doing and feeling but they're all open for debate or evolution but I've just been thinking about well where can I actually be the most effective and so I've chosen to dig deeper into the health and wellness industry because that's where I'm currently at Mm -hmm. and so there's parts of me that's like oh should I be more involved in policy or should I be more involved in uh schools or I mean because it's everywhere uh (laughs) every facet of life needs to be Mm -hmm. examined and and done over but um but I I literally can't, and I'm not in a lot of those places. And so I guess my starting point is in health and wellness and how I can really Mm -hmm. um, be effective there and shift the culture there. Mm -hmm. And, and I don't know if that's the right way to start, but I feel like that just seemed a natural place to start. And go from there I think you know I'll use myself as an example too so I am not a runner as I just mentioned and I think unfortunately there's an equity inequity in every industry whether it's marketing or technology or wellness or uh, runner's club <laughs> so whatever space you're in there's work that you can do and you can start there And then that might open up other avenues or might even open your eyes to other opportunities that you could engage with. So for me, it's, I mean, there's a lot of companies that do diversity and inclusion, and I'm a part of that work and have been a part of those circles for a while, but other industries I've been in that are consistently, that consistently have underrepresentation are technology, which I'm in currently, and I previously been in marketing. That's another one. So I've been engaged with groups like that because I've always been passionate about providing more access to um, people of color, specifically um, Black youth in tech. I've always been really passionate about that. So that's where I started and put a lot of energy into that. And that's where I volunteer my time. And that's where I do that work. It would make less sense for me in this moment to join a runner's club and try to diversify the participants. I could do it, but I don't think I would be as consistent and get as much out of or help them as much as maybe they would need it because my passion does not lie in running. Mm -hmm. But I think starting where you are, knowing yourself well enough to know, like, this is something I can commit to doing. I can commit to 
encouraging more diverse voices to speak at meetings I hold. I can encourage um, an advocate for different programs that focus on youth of color in this in this program I'm working on. You know, think I don't know things like that. But I think you do have to start with where you're at, and then you can keep moving beyond that. Um, because trying to change every piece of it is, um, you know, I think if we each change our corner of the world, it'd make a big difference. Yeah. Do you have any advice for people in leadership or that have platforms or running events, how they can reach out to people of color to diversify their, to do this intentionally, but also in a way where they don't feel like, oh, we need a black person. You're, you're black or, oh, we need a woman. Uh, there's a woman like been very obvious um in a lot of events especially up here um but advice for reaching out to those people and, and actually actually doing it and not just saving face you know doing the performative stuff like how can you actually make your events and your whatever lane you're in whatever group you're in diverse and and inviting those people in where they actually do feel safe because that's other stories I've been hearing is that a lot of people of color don't want to speak at these events because they don't feel safe going into a group of white people, you know? So insights, advice on that. Totally. So I think, um, you know, I always start with inclusion because I think if, if people, especially people of color feel included and there's efforts for inclusion in that event or company or what have you. Um, I think that that really sets the tone. So in my head, I'll use marketing again. I'll use Instagram. If uh, you're an event company that wants to recruit some more diverse voices into an event you're hosting, but your marketing up until that point and everything you've posted on Instagram is not showcasing any signal to me as a black person that you've asked that you are for and supportive of and inclusive in the the team that you're building and in the event that you're creating that feels a little weird to me because it feels like i'm a token and you want to put me on a poster and then the next day you're going to go back to not thinking about this work what feels different though is if you because we're all learning and because we're doing a lot of hard work and hard work to say we recognize that we have not included diverse voices on our platform or at our event and we're working to change that and here's what we're doing you know step one two three one of those steps is we can invite more diverse voices into this upcoming event if you have interest we'd love to talk to you more i mean it's something simple like we aren't perfect but we're trying to get there we're going to try to change what we're doing and here's how we're going to do it. And we're inviting you to, to come engage with us in this event. Um, I think it feels less authentic if it's hidden, if it's like, come to this event, you're a great personality. And it's like, well, I'm the only black person that's there. As soon as I get there, I'm going to realize that why you invited. Mm -hmm. And then it doesn't feel genuine. And then I trust you less. So I think that's, I think that's one way to approach it. I think another opportunity for leaders and um, something I've just been trying to do, if I see it and see something that doesn't sit right with me, doesn't land right, or I feel like it's not inclusive or not genuine, or if I've had a weird or bad experience, 
um, I will tell somebody. And I'm not, I'm personally, for me, I don't, um, I'm not going to call somebody out on Instagram, but I'll send them a direct message to the leader, to the company or whatever. And if you respond, you do. If you don't, you don't. That's on you. But just to say, you know, I don't see myself in your marketing. And so it's really hard for me to support your initiative. Or I don't see myself in the event, um, you know, list of performers or speakers. And so I am probably not going to spend my money going to this uh, upcoming event that you're hosting. Or, you know, things like that. So just to say, like, I don't, here's why I can't get on board with what you're doing. And you're losing me as a customer or a patron or a supporter. Um, and then the other part that I usually try to share is if I've had any weird or bad experience at said event, said company, said whatever. And to just say in very clear and honest tones what happened. This is what happened. This is what I did. This is what your team did. And here's how I felt. And it's, and if you choose to engage or if you don't, then that's on you. But if you do, then hopefully we can keep moving forward together. And then it, I buy more into the respect that I buy into and I'm learning to trust more because you reached out. And some people have. I mean, I've been, I've been doing this for a while. It seems like um, I've gotten a few more messages more recently, perhaps. But, um, but it's okay. I, I, you know. We're all on our own journeys with this. And so if you're willing to listen, I, I want to share what I think. Do you get tired of having to do that? I, I don't. I'm sure a lot of people do. Um, I get energy from it because I think I'm helping people impact the way that they think. Mm-hmm. Or just seeing it from a different point of view. Because a lot of conversation that I've had um, people are like, I don't, I never thought about it that way. I didn't even think about it. Never crossed my mind. Wouldn't have crossed my mind had you not said anything. Mm-hmm. And, and so it, you know, kind of goes back to that finally, right? Mm-hmm. But, but also, well then good. So now you, you know better. And so now you have to do something that's better. Yeah. And that's what I hope for. And so if we can get to that moment, then it's, it feels worth it to me. I don't really know how to ask this next question, but I'm, so I'm just going to ramble around it. Uh, (laughs) But for people that are tired of having to explain themselves all the time, uh, what can it look like for a white person and what can it mean for a white person to see something that goes on, to have seen your experience Mm -hmm. and say something on your behalf or alongside you, because I think there's this balance of being like, I don't want to speak for this person thinking like, oh, they're probably feeling, um, you know, attacked or not included when maybe they're not, Mm -hmm. or, um, or, or maybe it can mean the world to them that they don't have to be the one to bring it up anymore. You know what I'm saying? So where's that I guess advice on what what being an ally looks like, what being anti-racist looks like, even in those kinds of events Mm -hmm. where you're still honoring the person that's being impacted, but you're also taking the weight off of them, always needing to 
educate and fight for themselves. Right, right. So I think this can look a lot of different ways. Um, Something that I think is consistently meaningful and feels really genuine is um, if you are actually friends with a black person and this is going on, a lot of things are going on, just reaching out and checking in, like, how can I support you throughout this time? How are you doing? Is there something I can do to help support your self-care? Like, that is meaningful. It's also meaningful if coworkers reach out or managers or leaders to your employees or to your teams and to just check in to see how people are doing because it's an emotional roller coaster. And this moment's an emotional roller coaster, but you know, when similar things have happened in the past, it's been a similar emotional roller coaster, but perhaps people haven't been as vocal um, because allies and advocates haven't latched on in the same way. Uh, so that's one thing I would say. Um, the other thing would be, you know, the closest person to me in my life is my husband. And so I trust him a million percent with my words, right? Like he can, he can definitely share out experiences that I've shared, you know, more publicly or on Instagram or whatever. I would be comfortable with that. Or if someone referred to my, my Instagram is a good example or things like that that are more public form, right? It's like, I'm sharing this out. And the reason I'm sharing it is so that it can be shared out with others to make impact. So share that out. Something that feels a little bit less ingenuine would be imparting your own feeling on those experiences. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I, I said that correctly, but I guess what I mean to communicate is if I've shared out something on Instagram and someone reads it and they say, there's no way she felt like that. There's no way mm-hmm. that happened. I don't believe that that store did that. That feels bad. <laughs> that feels really bad. Uh, maybe I don't even hear that, but communicating in that way takes the insights that could be drawn out of those moments that have been shared. That happened. That truly happened. So that feels like an anti-ally. feels like you're being against and not for this conversation. Um, I think it really does lean next to the action piece. And, and so being an ally and educating yourself, learning, listening, leading with, with all of this in mind is really important, but it's really the leading, the doing, the go and be and do. That's the, the action in this. And that's, that's important. I think that's the, that will make or break all of this. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I answered any of your questions, but. <laughs> no, I think it's good. I think it's, I mean, it's an ongoing question because yeah. I think it, we're still learning what what it looks like now with that heightened awareness. And, and I think like, again, like I've, from my friends that I've reached out to, they've all really appreciated it and it made them feel loved and hugged in a time that was really, have, has been really challenging. Right. Um, right. But 
then I've read posts from people I don't know that have been like, I'm tired of hearing from my white friends asking me how I'm doing. Like, you know what I mean? So it's like, oh, should I have not done that? Or I don't know. So um, again, I think it's just being able to receive the feedback from whomever you're trying to support and making it less about you and more about them and uh and yeah so I I you did answer my question but I also think there's an aspect of it that's unanswerable right now and it it is just a lot of like trial and error when we start to become aware of these scenarios what what works and what doesn't and being willing to acknowledge our mistakes Mm -hmm. and um and when you know better, do better. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to honor your time here. I, I have so many other questions, things we could talk about. Um, but is there anything else you want to share here on this platform, how people can reach out to you if you are open to that? And yeah, moving forward from here. So I think you know, moving forward, just on those days when you are exhausted or feel frustrated or feel like change isn't being made, then take a day, take a rest day, <laughs> take that advice. Um, I think that's important because this is a, this is a marathon. Um, the other part is really, as a white person, I think it's really important to really sit with listening and really sit with the bias that you hold. Everybody has bias. I have bias. You have bias. We all have bias. So sit with that and then learn how you can unlearn some things and keep moving forward to be better. That takes time. It won't happen in a day. It's a muscle that we are all exercising and we're making stronger and we're strengthening. And so keep that in mind as well, because I, I plead and beg and pray and hope that we don't lose the energy that we've had in this moment, because if we do, and if it deflates, and if it changes too quickly, then there won't be change. And I really need there to be some. So I would, I would just keep that all in mind. And if you hear something that makes you feel uncomfortable, or makes you cringe, or you don't understand why, then and then research it and learn. If you hear a word or see a word that you don't know that people have been using this using in this space, then look it up. We have the luxury of having Google <laughs> at our disposal every instant of every day. And so I think that there's just a lot that we can do on our own to learn and not um, you know, make someone or ask someone to to tell us exactly how to do it. Because there there isn't one path to correctness on this there's a lot of different ways that it can look and we're going to make mistakes but we're going to learn from those mistakes and we're going to do better um I'm totally available if anyone wants to chat or learn or follow along in some stories that I'll I'll continue to share um and so Instagram is the best way to do that and so it's rosy nest is my handle and one last question as we depart I want to word this eloquently, but I can't. (laughs) What do you feel like are, despite our pasts, 
despite the decisions our ancestors made, despite how we got here. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really important to be properly educated on that. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's uh, impactful to stay there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or or maybe it is in certain ways. I'm still learning. <laughs> uh, but given all of that information, here we are now. Mm-hmm. Have you thought about our important role in this history now? Mm-hmm. And has that fueled you? And how can it fuel us acknowledging that we're here alive in this time in history mm-hmm. to be able to finally do something about this? Mm-hmm. I'd just love to hear your words on that. Mm-hmm. I think it's always going to be hard to wrestle with history and what we know and what we knew coming into 2020 or 2019 or 1970. I mean, like, we've we've learned a lot of things from the past, right? And so it feels a little hard to face that this is what we're still fighting for. I think when we can wholly believe and wholly recognize that every person sitting around a table, whatever they look like, whatever their background is, whatever religion they practice, or socioeconomic status they are has value their life has value and meaning and that they're humans and we're all peers sitting around a table that's a goal when you feel like you are there or you've created a community or created a space where that is welcomed that's that's that will have been worth all of not worth that will have made all of these things that have happened in our history, it would have made impact. And that's important. I think they're not there. (laughs) feels like a really hard thing to like think about all of that and then kind of shake your head. Like how, how have we not reacted sooner, more, quicker, bigger? Um, So I don't know. I, this is a really hard question to answer. <laughs> I know. No, no, this is a this is good. This is really a good question because I think it, it really makes you think. But um, yeah, I think it's I think it takes every person to recognize that we're all human and and look at you know for a white person to look at a black person as a person. I think it starts and ends there. Well, as hard as this all is, I am grateful for the opportunity in my lifetime to unlearn and correct and be a part of how we move forward as a Mm -hmm. society and when I remember that, when I remember and can visualize where my little peg in history is going to be. Mm-hmm. That gives me the fuel and the motivation to keep going mm-hmm. and 
trust that it will do something, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, So I'm grateful for you, for your friendship, for you coming on here and sharing your experiences and everything Thank we have you. to learn from you. And, uh, and yeah, I'll put links to how people can find you on social media. I think that's yeah. the best place. And I love that you're working at Best Buy and can make such a big influence in a corporation. That's awesome. Yeah. So um, cool. Well, thank you. I appreciate this. Thank you. All right. I highly encourage you to follow Rosie on Instagram at Rosie Nest. Honestly, her posts are so beautifully written. It's such simple yet profound storytelling that really makes you pause and look within. And I want to reiterate the point she made that we are all still learning how this is going to look in our world moving forward. So be gentle with yourself during this process, but please don't let your fear of making a mistake or doing it wrong stop you. And if you don't feel educated in this area, educate yourself. There are so many resources out there to have a better grasp on racism and privilege and how we got to this point and how it applies to you and your life. Your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, the communities that you serve, they need you to educate yourself and show up. And with our health and our privilege, we get to heal others and help others feel safe and cared for. It's the beautiful cycle of healing and being in community. And now is the time to be active in that cycle. I understand that I'm mostly speaking to the white community with this episode, but if you are a person of color, I hope that you find it comforting and know that this is a safe place for you and I'd love to hear your feedback and how this podcast can serve you and your needs more. Okay, I'll put a bunch of resources in the show notes as to where you can connect with Rosie and other people and organizations that I've been learning from. And you can check those out at naturallyrandyk.com slash podcast. And with that, just thank you for being here. Thank you for listening to the end. Thank you for who you are in the world. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen or sign up for my newsletter where I give most of my updates and try to send out love notes every week at my website, naturallyrandyk.com slash newsletter. And you'll also know when the next season of Simple Self-Care resumes around the end of August. I hope you are having a lovely and restorative summer and... I'll catch you on the flip-flop. Thank you so much for listening. I'm your host, Randy Kay, a holistic health practitioner and educator that has been helping people heal through body work, therapeutic yoga, and self-care coaching for over a decade. My mission is to help people simplify the healing journey by amplifying their own inner wisdom and teaching seasonal self-care practices. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to share it with a friend, 
leave a review on iTunes, or post it on social media. And if you do that, please tag me so I can see it and connect with you that way at Naturally Randy K. You can also commune with me via email if you sign up for my weekly ish newsletter, The Simple Letters. You can sign up at naturallyrandyk.com slash newsletter. That's naturally, R-A-N-D-I-K-A-Y dot com slash newsletter. And hearing from you in some way totally makes my life. And I always make sure to personally respond. And be sure to join me next time as the self-care conversation continues. Until we meet again, take good care and enjoy the journey.